Welcome to Making Conversations, a podcast from makers Gemma Millen and Robin Galway. As part of our collaborative series with ACJ SNI, we are making conversation today with Goldsmith Shannon McShane. Hi Shannon, welcome to the podcast today. We are going to be talking about ACJ SNI's exhibition, Collectibles and Curiosities. So could you tell us a wee bit about your role within ACJ SNI? So I am one of the committee members and I'm actually the treasurer as well. So basically I run the numbers and make sure that people get paid since we do all the projects and get some great funding from the Arts Council. And then as a committee member, I would be in on the projects about what kind of ones we want to run, about what the call out criteria is, what the exhibitions we want to do, and then just general meetings discussing how we want to move forward. So we know as your role as a co-founding member of AJN, Art Jewellery Network, that may have had an influence into this new group that has formed, as I know that yourself and Lotus DeWitt and Robin Galway were also co-founders of that group specifically. And so could you just talk to us a little bit about the importance of why that group formed and then your role that has now transitioned into ACJ SNI? With AJN, it basically started with myself and Lotus DeWitt having a conversation whenever we were both working for CDC, so the Craft and Design Collective, who had Spacecraft Gallery in the Fountain Centre in Belfast as basically their physical space. So we had a conversation one day and Lotus was like, we should really involve Robin Galway as part of it. And the three of us were a perfect match together. And we had two really huge exhibitions, which were the first one was Chain Reaction which was mainly Irish-based. So it was folks from all around Ireland. We showed it in a couple of places in Belfast and it was really great. Then the following year, we did Home Exhibition, which was with the Finnish group Convoy Exceptional. It was nine artists here and nine artists in the Finnish and Estonia region, which was amazing. It was like the first kind of like international exhibition we did. But we felt the need for AJN was because there was no real representation of conceptual jewellery in Ireland. And we really felt a voice or some form of body needed to happen. So we wanted to grow our presence because we would have went to like Schmuck in Munich and seen all these amazing exhibitions, all these groups and really felt like we needed to do something. So that's how it started. I was actually the treasurer for AJN, but the three of us really worked collectively very closely together. It really wasn't so much that we had roles. It was more just to have on papers why we had roles in this because we all basically did the same sharing the workload. So then whenever ACJ SNI came about, Robin was part of it first for quite some time when they were We Are. As things started to grow before the first exhibition, long before that, Robin had said to myself and Lotus, would you guys be happy to join? We'd really love to have you. And of course, we were like, yes, of course. We very happily joined. And then as We Are started to become ACJ SNI, that's when roles started to get defined. So I was asked if I wanted to take on the role of treasurer again, which I was like, I know basically what to do. Has been a little bit of a learning curve since having our own bank account and becoming much more established but it's been great it's definitely needed and we've definitely been hearing a lot of feedback that it's been a very positive thing especially for those in the north with just having that representation 
and how we are having the meetings, but especially the exhibitions and getting our work seen and then having much more of an international presence, which we were completely blown away with the amount of responses and how far our application call out went. It was unbelievable. We were not expecting that at all for this one. So it has been amazing. From your perspective as a goldsmith and also being aware that there is a need for a group of makers to create their own opportunities together. Could you give us maybe some secrets as to what exactly has been the magic to make you guys work as a group and be so successful in all of your opportunities that you have done so far? I think realising each other's strengths, recognising that and using that to the best advantage you can. Like for instance, Lotus is our secretary and she loves admin somehow the rest of us don't but she loves it she's fantastic at it it's just obvious she should be our secretary and being chair she is basically the instigator of acjs and i but is also with herself being one of the tutors in the university of ulster she has that ability to head in a way all of us do but she really has that a little bit more strength towards it so it's very much like if we lean into that we lean into lotus's strength being secretary myself as being treasurer i'm not sure if it's that anyone else would not have the same ability but I think it's just me being a self-employed person having my business and always budgeting like a crazy person I just have to be very strict so I think I'm quite good at numbers so it's easy enough to go with me being the treasurer the likes of Martin being in charge of our social media he's fantastic with his business one so that's why it's just an obvious choice and then the rest of the members whenever different things are coming up we would nominate them because their strength is pretty good at this. Like for the instance, in their next project, there's a lot of educational aspects to it. So with Cloda working within education, that's why we're going to call upon her quite a bit in that one. So I think it's just, we all know our strengths and just recognize it. In terms of coming together, like say you're a person sitting there and you have an idea to form a group of wanting exhibitions, start talking, start talking to your closest peers, ask them about what they think about it, ask them about if they want to be involved in it, if they think it's necessary if it's maybe not quite their thing then ask them who they think would want to be part of it just start chatting like whenever you go like especially this time of year there's a lot of Christmas fairs and things that's whenever you just talk don't just talk to your neighbour talk to like everybody involved that's why I know half the people who are like ceramicists and textile artists and things like that. They're not just necessarily jewelers. So that's why I would know different aspects of the crafts and maker world. So then form different friendships and get to know what's needed and get to form these alliances and begin. You can also go to, for instance, like Craft and I and ask them for their opinion and if they would know who to put you in touch with and things like that. There's different bodies there that you can get some help and advice from. So Shannon, I know that you and Lotus Dwight were joint curators for the Collectibles and Curiosity exhibition. How did you find putting the work together? Obviously having quite an international voice running through it as well. Was that different from previous exhibitions that you've set up? And could you tell us a wee bit about how that worked with the theme and how conscious you were of the theme whenever you were putting everything together? Well, firstly, opening up all the parcels, getting from all around the world. Like we'd seen all the images, obviously, but it was just amazing to see everyone's work in person and see it up close, the detail. Like, it's just incredible what everyone's sent us. And it's amazing how trusting they've been to do that as well. So in terms of how we 
decided about curating it and putting it together. We have a gorgeous cabinet that the Arts Council give us the funding to commission. And then we used as much as we could from the Craft and I Gallery. We decided to go with colours that would complement the work, the deep green and also the navy on the walls and the white. As we unpacked, we let everybody's work out as to where we thought it would go best. And obviously we didn't want anyone's work to clash. It laid out pretty easily, which was great. And then it was just a case of whether we put things in cabinets or on the walls, obviously very securely on the walls and just not having anyone's clash. But no one really did. There's only two that we were slightly concerned about in terms of their kind of like their shapes. A very different work, but at the same time as the perspective from the general public, we had to just be sure it wouldn't be confusing. So in terms of how we curated with the theme in mind, Collectibles and Curiosities, we really wanted to make sure the public could really see the work. A lot of the work is in cabinets and things like that, but we just wanted it to be accessible that you could get up close and look, but also make sure the work is safe. There's a couple of pieces that really were good for the walls, but you could stand well enough back that you could still see in detail. And there were maybe larger pieces, so that's why they were perfect for the walls. We were very conscious of curating for the whole space, but also from the window. So whenever folks were coming along the street and would see the Craft and I Gallery, they would see the large window with the decal on it. But also they would be curious looking through the window, but also then want to come into the exhibition. That was like a big major thing that we discussed with the staff of Craft and I to be sure that they were happy that we were drawing attention to get folks in off the street. So that's why we have Anne's work in the window with the lighting because of the colour of her work and also the shapes are very striking. And then also having Eva Lynch's piece because it had been quite large. And it also, the particular cabinet we put it in just meant it really showcased her piece. But you could also see from the walls, the larger, more colourful, playful pieces that would make people go, oh, I wonder what's going on and get to come in and explore their curiosity. And then, then there was a lot of pieces that were put in the cabinets that were just maybe a little bit smaller, but you could get up there and just have a good look through the glass. How we displayed it with the greens and things like that was just to set off pieces, sort of like little, or usually lighter green would just be kind of like a spotlight on some pieces. So that's how we, we believe we worked within the theme of making sure it was as curious as possible. Could you tell us a bit about how your work responds to the theme? I collect a lot of man-made and also natural objects from along the shore and reintegrate it into my work. So whenever the theme for this exhibition came out, I just was like, yep, perfect, fantastic. This is my kind of exhibition. But the work I created is new work for me. It's just me starting to evolve as an artist because as you just keep going, you, you think of new themes and new ideas and new work. So I'm moving even further away from the work I was doing, although it's still in the same tangent. So whenever it's collectibles and curiosities, it was just, yes, I definitely have to create work for this exhibition. So that's how I went down the route. And then as I was researching, because I had an idea in my head of what work I wanted to create as I was researching about uh, using the Irish language, that's when I found the whole article about collecting objects, nine waves from shore or nine waves left from shore and how that fitted in. And it just massively light bulb went on when I read this. That's basically informed my work a little bit differently and how I grouped the found objects together. Before I was more just going to have it wave themed in using the Irish language words because within the Irish language, one word can describe about two or three sentences we would say in English because Irish is so old, they actually developed it that much that there was just a word to describe one particular thing or it had a one word could mean different things. Really quite a romantic language once you get into it. 
that's where I found that. And it started to inform how I grouped the pieces together. But I also had another idea jotted down from like last year, whenever I was thinking about different work, I wanted to progress on to do just different things, not specifically of anything in my mind. And it was the idea of grouping together colors of found objects. And then that's why within the work I created, I did grip certain colours together because then I actually realised I actually did have quite a lot of pieces that worked within this and then thought the idea with it being curious is you'd have to like think about what things were once before they ended up in the sea because there's quite a few things I'm just like I'm not really sure what it was so it's interesting to hear back what people think they are for instance when I shared the Tontula ring which looks like the yellow bit of plastic is like a little ring. So I assume it's from one of those sweets that kind of had that diamondy kind of gem shaped hard candy on top. And whenever I shared it, I did get some questions of like, what is this? Is this what this is? And I was like, yes, I think it is too. So it starts a, another dialogue of like, what do you think it is? As well as questioning all the other things that I've already explained within the artist statement about the work. So we're well aware that you have two dynamics within your practice commissions and a product range but you also have your art jewellery is that a response to the themes created from the group or is that something that is naturally that you need to work through to progress the other elements within your business when I first started my business I still made quite a lot of my art pieces as I progressed and was becoming incredibly busy with like wholesale selling directly and the commission aspect, I really didn't get the chance to make art pieces. I would, I mean, I was always sketching. I was always noting down notes. It was always, that was always there. It's always been going on. But physically making the pieces became such a challenge to the point where pieces would actually get started and I didn't really get to finish them. And then maybe I would actually lay out some found objects with the intention of making something. And then next thing they'd have to get tidied away because it just got so busy. But it was really... The first lockdown is where I started to get a breath to start to try and make. But whenever ACJS and I decided to do our first exhibition pinned, I did respond by making a brooch for it. But it was very much getting to make the new work I wanted to make. And I suppose I have been responding to the exhibition briefs as opposed to actually just making alongside. But I have been more inspired and jotting down more things whenever you produce production and when you work with clients it is really hard to have that extra time and actually the extra finance to make new artwork because the artwork as much as it is uh, necessary for me it's like within me I get frustrated if I don't get to make that or get to really explore it's really a bit of a double-edged sword because financially you've also got to think about the material aspect and also financially the time because it does take it away from you just keeping your business being completely smooth it is a little bit stressful that way but it's very necessary for me to continue my practice within the conceptual art jewelry aspect and I'm hoping to get more of an even keel so that I can just make as opposed to just more reactionary making in time for like an exhibition call out because that would just be much more practical and much nicer way to just continue making instead of just constantly wholesale constantly commissions I do very much enjoy commissions please don't get me wrong it would be nice just to have half a day each week where I get to work on a new piece definitely I think in the new year if I maybe set myself a new year's resolution where I do that where it's like maybe a Friday morning is getting to make part of a new art piece and make a new art piece each month that kind of thing would be a much more practical way of doing things as opposed to just responding to a call out thank you so much Shannon for making conversations with us today this has been so much fun
We are now going to hear three maker clips from participants of the Collectibles and Curiosities exhibition. These are Shannon McShane, Gerhard Herbst and Cameron Embreen. My name is Shannon McShane. I'm a goldsmith and jewellery designer maker based in Dundonald County Down in the north of Ireland. My practice is centred around making artworks which is you go on exhibition, commissions for clients and small production ranges of jewellery. My inspiration is drawn from the coast surrounding Ireland. I grew up in a large coastal town at the mouth of Belfast Lock. Along this part of the coast, there's a hive of seafaring activity, which largely influences my work. Within my practice, I explore the notion of preciousness through the combination of precious materials and the ritual of collecting abandoned objects from along the shore. For the Collectibles and Curiosities exhibition, I created a small body of work called Moyen. It is an Irish word meaning belong. It used to be that if a person brought an object of value floating on the sea, nine waves or more out from land, they had the right to it. If it was less than the nine waves out, the owner's permission was necessary to keep it. The body of work that I have created is made up of found objects from the sea, fabricated into earrings, brooches, necklaces and a ring. They are objects that I have collected over time. They are curiosities as to what they once were, where they came from, how they ended up in the sea, tossed amongst the waves to land ashore. I'm inspired by the Irish language with its many words for the different types of waves, especially the legend of the three waves of Erin, Ton Clina, Ton Tua, Ton Ruri. I want these pieces to provoke conversations of the ocean, her vast beauty, but also the need to do more to protect her. These pieces of man-made objects should not have ended up in the ocean. They are only a very small fraction of what lies beneath the surface and along our shores. Following the mention of the three waves of Erin, I made three pieces for each of her waves. Tonglina comes out of cork, so the piece I've made is a brooch. The large piece of fine plastic that I have decided to use is almost like a wave in itself. It's a type of like a brush, maybe from a shipping vessel for cleaning, possibly even maybe from an industrial car wash or something like that. It's blue and the ends have lightened to almost like a very pale blue, almost white, like the frothing of the waves. I have hidden amongst these bristles, sterling silver pins that have beautiful little aquamarine set at the top as little curiosities showing a contrast of this plastic and its devaluation and the value of these aquamarines and aquamarine being also a stone associated with the sea. I decided to create it as a brooch as I saw it almost like a piece of armour, more to be seen as worn on the shoulder. Definitely a talking point with how large it is. It's very unavoidable. I was very curious about it. I decided to keep the seaweed and uh, the little bits of sheep's wool still in place as I just thought they really added to the journey of the piece as it's gone through the ocean and landed upon the shore in which I found it. Tontua is a necklace. It is the wave that comes out of Derry. I find this piece of rusted, almost like a a barbed wire type looking mesh of metal coming from Derry and from what people know of Derry, it's a fierce place. So I thought this is quite an interesting piece to use for Tontua. I then decided to sort of recreate with a bit of silver to kind of contrast the discardedness of the steel by using a precious metal. I did my rippling texture to the silver and layered it up in the same manner of which the steel has been. Comes round almost like a choker. 
Tanuri actually comes out of County Down, which is where I'm from. So I decided uh, whenever I was putting this one together, the large black pieces, I love black. So I just thought because I'm from the county, it would be very just to do that way. So it's very much more a reflection of myself. I use silver to create almost like a seaweed type effect of the bladder whack type inspired the one that has the little polyps and it's been oxidized and then I have set black spinels as just a, a contrast to the fine plastic giving this sense of value now that I've added the silver do we value it more or is it still an object that can be discarded to complement the three waves I then continue on to make some smaller pieces I realized that I actually had quite a few objects of similar colors or similar color palette and I always really wanted to do that and it kind of just shows you how much plastic there is because I do actually have more in the studio but these work best together so there's kunuk which is a pair of earrings. They're all made up of red toned and orange toned fine little plastics that have been riveted together or set into silver and then put together with like a chain. Kunik, this type of wave is a dangerous turning whirlpool between two strong currents. I thought it was very interesting to use the Irish language because for one word, we in English would say a couple of sentences to describe it. Within Irish, because it's so old, there's certain words that just describe certain things very simply. It can be quite romantic and quite funny in some of the descriptions once you translate them. But it's just, it's amazing to just try and keep our language alive by using these words. Then there's another piece called Stronic. It is a large brooch, mainly green tones. Stronic is the whistling or murmuring of the sea in a cove when the water rushes in and then is pulled out again. Stronic is made of green piece of pipe and then a green patented piece of metal. They've been riveted together and then little details of small, almost wave-like silver comes over to set the piece to make it into a brooch. And then there's an attachment to also make it into a lovely long necklace. Bristica is a pair of blue earrings. It means a big, foamy, strong waves that send the sea white with the racing waves. Bristica is made of two earrings. One is quite a tealish kind of blue with a line of silver with some topaz stone set. And then another small rectangular piece of blue plastic with a wave that I carved in wax and then cast. These earrings are studs. Tantule is a ring. Tantule is a tidal wave or a huge wave. It is a yellow piece of plastic. I believe it's from like a sweet pop. It's a very tiny, tiny little size. So probably about a size J roughly. So it'd be for quite a fine handed person, most likely on their wedding finger. I hand carved the wave on top, quite a large wave in wax and then cast it in sterling silver grinding in for a little bit extra detail and then setting on top of the yellow ring, the plastic. So it too is a smaller green brooch. It means sucking out sound of the shoreline at night, often heard in springtime when the large waves pull the pebbles from the shore, then roll them back in. That sounds lovely. It is a long rectangular light green piece of plastic. It's got all these really unusual markings on it, maybe from a toy. 
and then a little small piece I think it's a plastic if the materials become so hard it may have been a rubber it's a deeper green with a little pattern on it and they're overlapping each other it can be worn as a lovely brooch and it's all set in sterling silver and little detailing to almost look like the week's coming over again then we have tofu a brooch it means the calmness between two changes of falling or ebbing tide unsteady water that currents meet and one about to change direction this is a little brooch that is a yellow kind of more like an okra shade and um, it's definitely from a toy and it actually moves the original piece of metal i assume because it was quite rusted whenever i was drilling it out has disintegrated so i've replaced that with pieces of silver I then carved another weave which is set in the front and then I attached starting silver fittings with a steel brooch pin and then I decided to do an oxidized silver circle which I've put through one of the little holes from the toy well the piece that I assume is a toy kind of to show the cycle of the ocean and that everything moves around like these pieces can be from anywhere in the ocean you know as they've been dropped in they can move you know from one side of the Atlantic to the other to then up in the Irish Sea things like that so I wanted to show that and I felt that they really complemented this brooch in particular really enjoyed making all of the pieces for collectibles and curiosities I really enjoyed looking into the Irish language more as I actually have been learning it myself and really wanted to celebrate it and share all these beautiful words and all of the meanings behind them and how descriptive it is. It's just fascinating. I also really hope that everyone finds the objects as curious as I did and want to collect them like I did as well. I have always seen jewellery as being a way of body adornment, conversational pieces if you will. So a person's wearing it, somebody stops them, asks them what it's about. It could even be something more conspicuous like a wedding ring or a much more everyday piece, but also like these more unusual artworks. They provoke conversations between people, creating connections, storytelling, and also especially of these conservation of the ocean as well. There are definitely more pieces in the pipeline as I have more pieces in the studio, which I find quite fascinating and have already begun designing some. I'm pretty sure unfortunately I'll find more along the beach. As much as I find it interesting and like picking up treasure it's also quite disheartening to find so much. So hopefully as I go I myself can help reduce how much pollution is there but hopefully by seeing these pieces you will as well and also maybe make them into other pieces or have them recycled just as long as we keep them out of our beautiful oceans. My name is Gerhard Herbst. I'm a jewelry artist and designer who lives and works on Australia's Sunshine Coast. I think of myself as a sculptor and metalsmith who makes jewelry. Working from wire, I create my pieces as sculptural objects in the form of jewelry. Jewelry, by its very nature, is encumbered with many technical limitations. Size, weight, functionality, just to name a few. Sculpture, on the other hand, has few such requirements. My challenge is to create interesting and provocative forms that function well as a piece of jewelry while still trying to retain the original sculptural qualities that inspire my work. My entry, Mindspace, is comprised of two components, a collar and a bangle. These components are each individually forged 
from single lengths of copper wire. The collar is oxidized and the bangle is gold-plated. The bangle then fits inside the collar to complete the piece. Mind Space is a contemplative work, partially inspired by the meditation mandalas of Eastern religions. Mind Space is also about choices, how they're connected and how they can manifest as a shape. Using single lengths of wire, my work looks at the parallels between the continuous single line and the lineage of choices we make in our lives. Mirroring our own life experience, the single line form creates outcomes from choices that are all chronological and connected. Moving and flowing from one choice to the next, I present my forms as a metaphor for the series of interconnected choices and outcomes that shapes our experiences. My name is Laura Breen and I am one half of Cameron and Breen. We are a contemporary goldsmithing collaboration between two friends. We combine ideas, skills and techniques from our studio based in Randallstown, County Antrim. We have a fascination with illustration, traditional handmaking and archaeology. And from our studio, I carve and engrave our jewellery in wax. It is then cast in a range of metals and then Martin handsets all our gemstones. As makers, we are constantly collecting information and inspirations. For us, we look at our unique landscape here in Northern Ireland and the fragments of man-made artwork left behind. And this is in the form of stone carvings, repetitive pattern and intriguing faces and figures. We also collect ideas from museums where we can really see how jewellery was traditionally made and what materials they used. And this really sparks curiosity. And I start to build an image of who that person was that made this object or who wore this piece of jewellery or how was this piece of jewellery worn. We have created five individual beads that are all hand engraved with patterns which we have collected from viewing Bronze Age jewellery through to sculpture and even into ceramics. So it seemed fitting for us to cast these beads in bronze. When you think of bronze sculpture, it is traditionally a highly polished smooth surface with a really rich dark colour. However, if you were to leave bronze exposed to the elements and in nature, it will begin to change from a deep golden colour to dark browns and really intense greens and blues. And for us, that natural process was more interesting, not just in colour, it also represents the inspiration of traditional making. I had a lot of fun experimenting with patination and was able to create a chemical reaction which accelerated this colour. This would usually take years to do in the ground. I was able to narrow that down to just a few days by creating a natural solution of vinegar, salt water and eggs. This created a surprisingly unpredictable patination on the surface of the bronze which really took on a life of its own and followed the spirals and hand engraved shapes. And the exciting thing is the colour will continue to develop and change over time depending on who wears it, where it's worn and the environment it's exposed to. We want to spark that same curiosity when the viewer looks at our pieces. That is why we didn't string them to look like a necklace or a bracelet. We want the viewer to see them as though they've just been discovered in the ground. When the string is decayed into the earth and the beads are all that remain, they're very heavy and they're very tactile, so it isn't obvious how they are attended to adorn the body, but they become curiosities to evoke imagination. Thank you so much to ACJ SNI for this collaboration. 
as well as to the Arts Council of Northern Ireland, Shannon McShane, Gerhard Herbst and Cameron Embreen.